Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I have a little trouble with the computer here getting this thing to work the way that it needs to with my normal American tennis uh, song coming up here. But I just wanted to welcome you once again to American Tennis, and we are back. I've been on, uh, dang, what have I been doing, just match after match after match this time this season, but i um, very glad to be back on and uh, we will pick up from where we left off and always in the fight here. Program today, Top Tennis Needs Real Tennis Match Play. Um, absolutely. We um, There's a couple things going on. I want to try to see if I can go through some. Uh, oh, my golly, here it comes. My program's trying to come on now. There we go. Finally got it working. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And there you go. <laughs> and I think, folks, if we got some music just cut on right now, I guess you're just going to have to listen to Rocky or that introduction again. I don't know. The daggone computer is going a little bit haywire here, but. Hey, welcome back. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. 
thanks for tuning in every week on the Yellow Ball Network. And um, we've got so much information to cover what's been going on here. Well, you know, with college tennis, all I can tell you is that we're ready to hit the home stretch here in the NCAA tournament. I, Dang, it's next already. It's the third week in May down in Florida. So that'll be coming up. All the conference events will be coming up here. Um, but for the most part, we're going to come to you every week, and we're going to try to have different topics or different guests and keep you up. But this week, I need to go a little bit into a monologue and talk to you a lot about this. I'm basically, I'm hacked off, I'm, and I'm just so upset with what I'm seeing going on with our tennis in the USA here, and it's not quite as evident maybe yet as it probably will be as far as our results. But, um, well, I guess, I look, we haven't had a U.S. Open men's champion since, what, 2002? That's Andy Roddick. And I'm not hacking on the guys that have been out there playing. I love, you know, Stevie Johnson, Isner. How could you not like love the guy? And, uh, of course, Tennis Sangren really is a role model for all of us because he's the kind of person that hung around, hung around, hung around, and he's back. Uh, he's now finally in the top 100 after – just scrapping it out for so long, and he that those are the role models and the kind of players we we really need to uh, talk about on the men's side. But college tennis, I'm so disheartened and disenchanted, and I've been in it 41 years now. But the lot the long and the short of it is that we have diluted, polluted, and we're prostituting uh, one of the greatest greatest sports. And I, I don't want to just say game. It's a sport. It's it's a game that it, we play as a sport in the co- in college. It, it's a tremendous sport, and it's a tremendous, tremendously competitive sport. And greatness has come through the uh, the, the maze of training and uh, the competition that we've had for years and years and years. We've had Wimbledon champions. U.S. Open champions, world champions, all play college tennis. And I do not believe that's going to happen much anymore, um, just mainly because our, our daggone leaders out there who I don't know what they're doing, they're selling out to these dang marketing guys, folks. The marketing stuff has taken precedent over learning how to play the game. They are so concerned with trying to put people into stands, and they're so concerned with uh, their march to a different drummer other than the educational part of our game that they're all but destroying it. I want to spend a few minutes, and you know how much I dislike and hate this no-ad scoring by this time. And look, I... It has nothing to do with a hidden agenda of trying to uh, get my players uh, up to a higher, you know, up higher rank in the college arena or something. But, no, it's the real, it's the destruction. It's the destruction of the American, uh, of American tennis. And uh, I want to go through the whole scenario sort of, of how they have done this. 
and then um, and then you'll sort of get a grasp and a scope of of where we're at. But I want to talk first of all about the diluting, polluting, and the prostituting of our game. I want to talk first of all about this. Um, well, it started out. I guess it's all started before the web scoring. We started with this this uh, what they call a super tiebreaker. Well, I wrote an article back in 2013 about the not-so-super third-set tiebreaker and basically what it's doing to our game. I want to point out a few things when they have your youngsters play these super tiebreakers. First of all, when your youngsters play these super tiebreakers, the learning takes place all of the learning just about takes place in the third set. You have a result. You have a result where somebody wins a set and a tiebreaker or two sets, and they're declared the winner. So you have a result. But before I say anything about the part of it, about not lacking conditioning, uh, the learning that takes place in that third set, and all of that, I wanted to just say this. This is the most obvious thing to me as a coach. When you win a super tiebreaker, it is not a rite of passage that takes, makes its mark in a player's heart. It is not a legitimate rite of passage. When you win a super tiebreaker, you pretty much um, have gotten a shortcut to a win. And um, I often have told people I would rather lose playing the third set, uh, have my player lose playing the third set, than to win a super tiebreaker. And why? Because it's not a rite of passage. When they win, it, I've often said, you know, it's, there's an old expression, it's sort of like getting a kiss from, a, from your old aunt or something like that. It's not really uh, a kiss. It's really not something that is really a marked rite of passage. So it doesn't mean all that much when you win. It's Players know it's not a rite of passage. And then on the other end of it, if you lose the tiebreaker, it doesn't hurt enough to make you want to get better, to do the work and to get better. It doesn't make you hurt enough to say, I don't ever want that to happen again. I'm going to go out and practice for hours and hours on the backboard, and I'm going to hit on the backboard till my hands are bleeding because I dislike losing that much. And kids have to get to the place where they decide in tennis that they do not like losing. And when they get to the place where they decide that they detest and hate losing, they practice hard enough to win, and that's how you get good in tennis, and that is the cutting edge of what makes players great or just average. So if you win, it's not a rite of passage. If you lose, it doesn't hurt enough to make you want to get better. This rite of passage is an interesting thing. Uh, about a month ago, I called Coach Sam Paul, the great coach at University of North Carolina who's doing one of the best jobs out there, and I, one of his players, uh, who was a Canadian player, sort of broke through at the New York Open this year. Um, I called him and said, look, I was following his matches. And it was interesting that he won like 7-5 in the third or 6-4 in the third. None of the blowouts, just he won close, won close, won close. Francis Tiafo 
at the Australian Open. The matches that he came from behind and won at, they weren't blowouts. They were just, they he got a little, he barely won, barely won. If you remember back John Isner winning at the City Open in Washington, D.C., well, actually he lost in the finals to Andy Roddick, but that was his breakout tournament. Probably it's been close to 10 years ago, I would guess, already. But every match was 7-5 in the third, 7-6 in the third, 7-6, 7-6. And finally he got beat in the finals, which was close, but every match was close. So what the, the psychology of this, and this is important if you are just getting into tennis or you've only been in tennis a short time, but as a coach, I wanted to tell you what happens when you break through. When you break through to a higher level, what happens is that you get ahead, but you're uncomfortable carrying the lead. If you are the underdog in tennis, either in someone else's eyes or your own eyes, when you get ahead, you usually do some subtle things like you rush, or you miss first serves, or you don't construct points properly, or you you basically start choking when you're ahead because you're not comfortable with the lead. Learning how to carry the lead and to lead in a tennis match and to carry a lead is probably the toughest but one of the most important skill sets that a player needs. That's why parents out there listening, if you – if you're setting up a schedule for your youngsters to play, please, please, please remember to schedule that bottom one-third where your youngsters are going to be the favorite and when they're where they are going to carry the trophy back and they have the pressure on them to win. Those are very, very important matches because they learn how to carry leads. Everybody likes to play up or play someone they don't think they're supposed to beat. They like to play those tournaments that where you're playing up. Well, there's not much pressure, and you go out ahead, but then you usually stumble all over yourself, and you're not able to carry the leads. Learning how to carry the leads is one of the most important skill sets for the 18th time. So what I'm saying is that when you play tiebreakers for the third set, the kids don't develop that skill set, and it's topsy-turvy. Now, when you play no ad, it even makes it worse because when, – and we're going to get to that here in a second, but we're talking about the tiebreaker for the third set. It is extremely uh, dumbing down, extremely – what's the word I am looking for? It's extremely inhibiting to the development of your youngster – when they play these third set tiebreakers, and uh, there's lots of alternatives. My golly, you could play the first set as a tiebreaker. Call it the icebreaker instead of the tiebreaker. The icebreaker. Play the tiebreaker in the first set. If you're going to let it count for a whole set anyway, why not rejuggle it and have the youngsters play the first set as the icebreaker? Then the last part of the match. The winning set would have to be a full set, and your youngsters learn how to win. So what in the heck, where did this come from? Where did this third set tiebreaker deal come from? Well, they experimented with it back in the college level back in the 80s, just trying to get matches over with. Typically, 
you would have some straight set matches finish early, and then you'd always have the one or two matches with the grinders that was taking a long time. Well, the coaches got tired of hanging out and waiting for the matches to finish. So what they did is they said, oh, let's just play a tiebreaker for the third set. That's sort of how it came about. But And then they even experimented with it in the 90s. Actually, uh, they experimented at the National Indoors, and it was a fiasco. The amount of upsets were ridiculous. Um, what would happen is the better team would get ahead, but then the other team maybe – let's say you're the underdog team. You win the first set, you lose the second, and if it's the third set that's going to be played, you're about ready to lose 6-1, but you get to play a tiebreaker with third set. So you would have the better players choking their brains out. Oh, my God. Do you, you know that we even had a dual match back in the 90s? University of Georgia lost to Lander College, Lander University, at which, hey, listen, it's a good D2 program, but they beat University of Georgia. Guess what? No ad scoring. Guess what? Three tiebreakers for the third set. Wow. So the point is you have topsy-turvy results, but the harm is done to our kids. The program is if we want top tennis, we're going to need the real match play. We don't need this third set tiebreaker deal. Now, we're go- we want to talk uh, about the no-ad scoring, and then I want to tell you sort of the uh, scenario for which uh, what, what, why this all came about and why our leaders have gone to the marketing people and they're making – the great sport of tennis into a hoochie coochie show. And we, we, uh, why, why they're doing this. They're, they're shooting themselves in the foot where all of our top people are getting, going to get out of tennis. Our, our best coaches are upset. Our best players are upset. And our leaders are just sort of going by everybody. If, if you take castor oil enough times that actually the, castor oil being poison in this case you're going to start liking well i i don't i don't know i i, I don't think so but we're going to go, go to quick commercial we will be right back with american tennis is coach chuck Creasy. Coach Chuck Creasy and folks, my book, Coaching Tennis, has been out there now for quite a while. Ten, uh, actually, it's 20 years. Folks, do you know that it's one of the top-selling tennis instructional books in the world? It is all around the world. It's being used in Asia and in Europe and many, many places here in the United States. You can still get it by going to Amazon. It's Coach Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E. And the book is Coaching Tennis. If you want to work with your youngster or you want to work with the players that you are training and get some insights of some fundamentally solid things to do, look up my book, Coach Chuck Creasy's Coaching Tennis. Off the land, 
Look, traditional tennis, traditional tennis scoring is the most accurate and most fair and most time-tested barometer for the measurement of all all of the skill sets that it takes to be good in the sports. Look, athletes, for the ability to overcome the pecking order and advance through the normal rites of passage or the levels that, that have been assessed or consistent measured, they've been measured consistently for 145 years. So how in the world could we have credible results otherwise? I want to give you another reason. Tennis is also one of the few sports where the scoring opportunity on both offense and defense happens simultaneously. So uh, it's the only maybe boxing, counter-punching, or I, I know there's no other sport, I guess, that when I lose a point, you win a point. Ping pong? But there's no other sport. So what I'm saying there is every point, it feels like one, it really counts two. So the point I'd lose is the point you gain. Well, there's no other sport that uh, that has that. So it's always a two-point swing on every point. But on game point, folks, it is an eight-point swing. Three no-add points could either be a 6-0 set or a 3-3 set. It could be 3-3 or 6-0, or 4-2 or 5-1 or 6-0. Think about it. You lose one point, you lose one no-add game, and it's an eight-point swing. You lose 6-4. to four. If you lose two points, it's a difference in five. It could be 4-2. to two, Five to one or six zero based on losing one, two, or three points. Now the three—it's an eight-point swing. Could you imagine this? Uh, the basketball tournament, NCAA basketball tournament, is going on right now. But could you imagine an eight-point swing? Well, wait a minute. Basketball is two points. So what if basketball was scored where every time a team shot and missed, the other team got the two points? That would be a four-point swing, wouldn't it? So a four-point swing compared to a two-point swing, an eight-point swing, okay, 16-point swing. Could you imagine if they had a, let's go, a buzzer go off, and now is the super round, the super minute in basketball, where for one minute any shot made or missed is a 16-point swing. Would that be preposterous or what? Well, that's what we have with no-ad scoring. It's, that's, it's absolutely ludicrous. Look, because the seventh point in no-ad has double jeopardy, you know, a game in value, it's three points. Uh, you know, a, again, it's easy to see at 4-2 that point is either going to make it 4-3 or 5-2. But the first point of the game, the first game of the match, if it the score is – 3-3, it's a 3-3 game or what they call a 4-40-40 or a deuce game now. If you win that point and you go up 1-0, it's going to take your opponent eight points to overcome that. Look, fitness is another point. Fitness has always been a cornerstone for success in tennis. Abbreviations of traditional score dilute, and they minimize the elements of conditioning endurance that are needed for your mind, body, spirit, everything 
that the great chess game of tennis teaches. With the element of fitness being minimized, results become more random. For example, you can't get a TKO as easily now, can you? Well, how, how would you get a TKO? In tennis, let's, let's talk about TKO and boxing. TKO and boxing, you might lose the first round, second round, third round. But if you're get, delivering enough body punches, the other player might start going down about the fifth or sixth round. And tennis is much the same. The players who win beat you, they make you lose from the inside out. They usually start taking your legs. Then they beat their head, your head, then they break your heart, and then your game starts to fall. I tell my players, take their legs, beat their head, break their heart, and the game starts to fall. Fitness as a cornerstone is being taken out of it. So what have we done to, except to dumb down our sport? The conversion points. Huh, that's an interesting one. Three in a row starts to flow. We've always said that in tennis. Do you know that if you don't win the first point of a normal game of tennis, it's going to take you winning three in a row or four out of the next five to win the game? The first game is important, but three in a row, you have to learn that mastery of being able to win conversions being eliminated. I've always been very cognizant or I understand very deeply the importance of the war zone endurance. You'll play regular tennis and you'll have the do sad, do sad, do sad game, and then your player wins it or loses it. It is a huge, huge momentum swing. I will often ask my players after a regular scoring match, when did you win that match before you won the match? And they'll say, Coach, uh, let's see, 2-1, second set, we had that long, long game, that long do-sad game, and the other players sort of went away. And then you carry the lead. In no-ad scoring, you never learn the war zone endurance. What in the world are they thinking? You know, they look, you've got the tournaments. You've got a tournament. You've got matches. You've got sets. You have games and you have points. You have those five different dimensions. Could you imagine there was an article that came out recently or something on Facebook were they even talking about shortening the length of the point to like 18, 10 strokes or something like that? Could you imagine how ludicrous that would be? If you wanted to make it shorter, which they, it's not about making it shorter, believe me. I'm going to get to that here in a second. But, you know, I mean, come on. You could, you do not bastardize the game to where you destroy the whole essence. Could you imagine saying points got to be over within seven rallies? Points got to be over within ten rallies or the receiver gets the point. Are you kidding me? I mean, and, and that's what we're doing with no ad tennis. You're saying points got to be over, games got to be over in seven points. The kids don't learn how to play. They don't learn the war zone endurance. Point construction and well-rounded games are highlighted by traditional tennis scoring. No ad accelerates false parity between the different levels. And that, that's true. You have more upsets now than you've ever had before. And maybe, I'm going to read this article in a bit, but maybe that's why they want to go to no ad. I always thought it was for some of these leagues up north that don't train maybe as hard as we do here down I'm just I'm not cutting on you up there but some of the leagues 
you know, they what what it does with parody is it takes away the work ethic a little bit uh, when you make it easier to win. Um, if you take away the fitness, if you take away the long games, uh, it, it really makes it, uh, well, you have very much, you have more randomness, and I think that's what they're after. Traditional scoring produces drama. Listen, excitement dwindles with each occurrence. Drama intensifies with each denial. People will say that no-ad scoring is exciting. Have you ever thought about riding a roller coaster? When you ride the roller coaster the first time, you say, I want to stay on, I want to stay on. And then you'll stay on the second time. And it's, ah, it's fun. By the third time, you're going, ah, sort of boring. Let's go to the Ferris wheel. Well, excitement dwindles with each occurrence. It's sort of like being at one of these high-tech movies with all of the, all of the shoot 'em up stuff or all the sensationalism. Well, the problem is it gets boring, doesn't it? Have you ever watched an Alfred Hitchcock movie? And some of the old ones, Notorious. Oh my gosh, that popped into my head. Notorious. Oh, my golly, the drama in that movie with old Ingrid Bergman, Bergman there, and I think it was, was that Cary Grant and Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman? Wow, the old movies compared to these slasher, crasher, smasher movies that are that are out now. The drama intensifies with each denial. Tennis is like a great old movie, and the drama is just incredible. As you build toward the end, the crescendo is such a building thing. It's not just a slasher-type impact. But the have you ever seen players, you know, play for two and a half hours, they get to the end, and the choking goes on, and you wonder, wow, they, why is there so much choking even out of these good players? We've seen every good player. I call it, and I made up the statement, the law <coughs> – the law of invested pressure. Time invested, work invested, the law of invested pressure. When you care more, you're going to be, it's going to matter more. When you worked hard for it for a longer time, it's going to matter. You're going to choke more at the end. But the pressure and the drama of tennis is what we're losing. We're going to lose all the really, really good players. We're going to make tennis into a nice, after-school activity, but it's going to be something out there about like bowling. You know, everybody's done it once or twice, but there are no real bowlers. Uh, so I, I don't know, folks. It's really sad. Players and coaches. You know the players and coaches. I've got all those statistics here. I'm going to read these statistics. In 2012, 10,000 signatures were expressed online against a format change to no ad in college tennis, 10,000. December 2013, there was five hours of discussion and finally a vote at the ITA convention down in Naples, Florida. The vote came back after five hours that we would stay with traditional scoring. They did not want no ad, and the leader of the ITA back then said, we can do whatever we want to as sort of a straw poll, and they ignored it. 
Then the ITA's own poll in 2014, 81% of college players voted and 85% they did not change singles and 86% voted to not change the doubles. Huh, they did it anyway. You know, in 2014, one of our top players took a poll of all the co- the players, 1,347 signatures to oppose scoring changes was ignored by the ITA. A petition was sent out by the, the uh, very well-respected Lynn Loring of Indiana University back in summer 2014. In response, 194 women's coaches voted voted they needed a two-thirds majority to at least consider these to, to, to consider these changes. They wanted regular scoring to continue. It was ignored by the ITA. In 2014, the MDTA, the Men's Division I Tennis Association, conducted a poll and a 67 to 11 in favor of traditional scoring. The vote was ignored by the ITA. After tremendous pushback by the players and coaches in 2014, the NCA cabinet tabled the move to do it. But, you know, the ITA director sent out three emails and basically, coer- I don't want to say coerced. I, nobody likes that word right now, coerced. Um, basically, he leveraged, how's that? He leveraged his tournaments and said, you guys are going to do it anyway. ITA's recently promoted their coaches. Okay, the ITA, let's see, they also flip-flopped on a thing that said there was a rule that when two coaches agree, they can choose to play the experimental format, which was no ad. Then they said, no, you have to play no ad. They just flipped it in 2014. You have to play no ad. If you agree to do something else, you can do it, but you have to play no ad, huh? Anyhow, at this time, it's still up in the air. And the ITA, listen, I, I don't want to tell you what I think of those guys, but bottom line on the thing is I will never be a member again. It's a doggone uh, ridiculously, uh, it's a, like a union. It's it's their, they squeeze the people to do what they want to. The board of directors is made up. Listen to this. The board of directors is made up of 13 marketing people. Only have six, six coaches. And how that makes sense, I don't know. Where'd this all come from? I want everybody out there, look up. There's an article online. You can look up the ITFs deal with the devil. What are we doing and why are we doing this? The ITFs deal with the devil. There is a um, young pro out there, a young lady playing professional tennis. She wrote this article, and uh, it's, it's fantastic, but it starts out how she walked off the court. She comes off the court after uh, her uh, low, when she, entry level entry-level professional events, and she's playing, and she gets all these terrible, terrible emails and texts from around the world basically just degrading her and telling her how bad she is because she lost and lost them money. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I feel like an idiot 
tell you the truth, because uh, up until about two years ago, I thought that these guys are just misinformed. They really are trying to help tennis. They just don't understand, and, and they don't understand the consequences like a coach would, the marketing people. But, folks, it all goes back to money. It all goes back to money. Very quickly, what they figured out is that if they could get college tennis to play abbreviated scoring, then they push it down into the juniors, which they're doing now, and I predicted it three years ago, and that's what they're doing. They're pushing it into the juniors and forcing juniors to do it. Then after five or six years, they're not going to complain if they make the move up to the professional ranks. Huh. Seems like there's something behind it. Let me tell you what's behind it. And she writes this article, and she did her research, that in 2012, the ITF, the ITF International Tennis Federation, signed a five-year, $70 million deal with Sports Trader, a deal which has now been extended until 2021 to distribute data from the lower and mid-level tournaments and also colleges for betting purpose, for betting purposes. For betting purposes. So what did they get from Sport Trader, the gambling company? For their, they got $70 million. What are they giving to them? Live stream scoring. They distribute information about the players and the tournaments and the events. Listen to this. This data meant that bookkeepers could keep now they could offer their odds of the matches, gamblers around the world suddenly had unfettered access to these professional tournaments. By 2016, over 60,000 ITF men and women at $15,000 tournaments and $25,000 matches were open for betting. <clears throat> For the ITF and Sport Trader, this deal has been enormously beneficial. In a recent article, President Dave Haggerty said, he says, our valued partnership, does this sound like a bunch of crap or what? Is this crap? Our valued partnership with Sports Trader has enabled us to develop the content and reach that we need in order to continue strengthening our relationship with our fans and the tennis they love to follow. If this deal was truly developed for tennis fans, however, why not then, this, this young lady is reach, reaching out, why not reach out to other firms and stream access with involving betting companies? Of course, while $70 million deal keeps the ITF from operating at a deficit, it undoubtedly is important to the ITF. Their disregard for how the arrangement affects tennis players whose data is being sold is quite problematic. So where does the $70 million go? My, she said, my former players and I are certainly not seeing it. You'd like to know the places we stay and how we live on the road, that's for sure. After, does integrity count for anything? This article is unbelievable that this live stream betting. So I was right in the, the meeting I went to two years ago was right. There's money behind this. And doggone it, parents and coaches out there don't think that no ad scoring and and this daggone abbreviated scoring tiebreakers for the third set is being played for the welfare of your children. It's the biggest 
red herring and the biggest lie you could ever imagine. It is not for your kids. It's destroying the sport, and you guys need to stand up, speak out. And the bottom line on the thing is this is your right as an American to stand up and speak out and to not tolerate it. As Thomas Jefferson said, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. This is tennis tyranny. This is tennis tyranny at its, at its highest form. They're changing the scoring system after 146 years, 147 years, actually. I had said 145, the thing I was reading. But they're changing the scoring. Go, how dare them? How them to dumb down, to dilute and pollute? And now they prostit- the prostitution is right out in the open. It's all about this gambling money. It's all about this gambling money. Shame on these guys. What the heck? Look, this tennis is fantastic sport. From the day I ever played, I picked up a racket, and just like if you were like me, I realized how hard it was, but I realized the great art form that it was, too. Because it was hard to pick up, it was also hard to put down, and it intrigued me. And it enticed me to want to do it again and again and again and again. Things that are easy to pick up are easy to put down. Our scoring system even was very interesting. 15, 30, 40 game. I mean, the the art of it all was fantastic. It set it set it apart from others. If we dumb this down and we just try to hype our tournaments and everything, the marketers are going to have their day. They're going to get their money. But who loses out? First of all, tennis is going to lose out. They're going to lose people like me who's been in it for since how long ago? It was 1963. That's been a while. So since 19, do the math, 50-some years, you know, 56 years I've been in it. 56 years I've been in tennis and love it. But they're going to lose the people like me and all of the people who just absolutely love the sport will fight and fight and fight. But they're also going to lose those people who pick it up for an artistic reason at all, which is probably 60 or 70 percent of the people as well. You know, the people who pick it up and just play it as a game, easy to pick up, it becomes easy to put down as well. So you you really... The fair weather players are going to come and go. But if you lose your base of players like myself and the some, a lot of the old coaches and the old pros, uh, it's not like uh, it, these people are going who pick it up for a weekend show or just for the interim are going to stay with it. So tennis is going to lose out. And, and uh, it's it's extremely, extremely sad. There is nothing more pathetic than small people in big positions. We need to hold our leaders' feet to the fire, and we need to hold them accountable. And these people who are pushing in these abbreviated scoring formats need to be held accountable. You must talk to those tournament directors. Do it kindly. Do it in a good way. But just say, my youngster did not pay, we did not pay $1,000 for this weekend with all of the expenses of the hotels 
and the travel and the entry fees and the lessons and everything you have to do to be good at tennis to get here and do this hokey pokey show. I wouldn't call it a hokey pokey show, but I would say to to play 46 games or whatever it is in this tournament, to play a tiebreaker for the third set. Oh, I, the best one is fly across country to play a six-game no-ad set for doubles. Give me a break. Give me a break. Folks, we need you to stand up and to speak out. Stay professional. Address issues, not people. And you can say whatever you want. We are going to have, I'm going to try to get this young lady on my program here. And I'm not going to put her name on on the air just so she's protected. But the ITF deal with the devil. And it's it's out there. Look it up. The ITF's deal with the devil. If you read this article, you're going to see exactly why they are forcing no ad scoring down our throats. And how in the world did we get out of time? But it's time to go. And look, we'll, we will have, be back next Wednesday in American Tennis. Listen to Coach Randy Blumenauk's Coach's Corner on the weekends. Also, Coach John Denise's tennis mentoring program, but I'm Coach Chuck Chuck Creasy reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. Hey, we'll see you next week on American Tennis.